It did happen. You know? Mm -hmm. It's it's my story. Uh Like, there's nothing to pity or feel sorry for. It happened. And now this is my chance to be able to share it with somebody else so Uh that they don't necessarily go through what I went through or what you went through or anybody else. They'll sell you hope for the price of action. It's for you not to auction your dream at a nine to five gathering. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to another episode of 8 Plus 1 Classroom. My name is Charles Nzali. Uh, today, I have a guest uh, who is an artist, a painter, uh, a musician. My guest is an all-around artist, a friend of mine, Monica Brown. Uh, Monica, welcome to 8 Plus 1 The Classroom. Thank you. Thank you. Usually, uh, when I... When I have guests here, uh, I get to take some time and know the guests, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, today, I want to put context into getting to know you because uh, we work together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you could you could be very misunderstood sometimes, you know? And I just want to get to put context behind that and really get to know the person behind, you know what I mean, who you are. I'm going to start that with that by just asking about your upbringing, right? Because I believe your a person's childhood has a, a huge role in who they become. Mm-hmm. So can we, if we can start with that, it would be great. Absolutely. Again, thank you for having me on your show or on your podcast. Um, so I was born in Texas. Uh-huh. Both of my parents were in the military, so I did a lot of moving. Um, I've lived in Texas, Germany, Georgia, Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, Arizona, back to Missouri, and then Chicago briefly, so Illinois, so, and then back here to Kansas City. So you lived in all of these as a, as a child growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Except for Chicago. Except for Chicago. Mm-hmm. How, though, how is that as a child, right? Moving and living in all these places. It, it makes it so that you don't necessarily develop close friends. Mm-hmm. I never had a problem making friends. You, that was never an issue. But because I moved every year to year and a half or so, mm-hmm. it made it really hard to get close to people. Um, I don't get attached to people, things, stuff like that as much as other other people that I know because I, I had to leave so much behind. Did you, does it, has it ever felt a sense of home? No, I call, I call Kansas City home because I've been here the longest, but I still haven't run across a place that to me feels like home Mm -hmm. but again I think that's because I moved around so much when I was little that I just it's a part of the attachments that I don't feel because I I'm always in a state of well I could always just move if I don't like where I'm at I can always just move wow so how does that how does that translate right Mm -hmm. into into adulthood for you it's the same thing. I don't, for me, a lot of people get really sentimental about where they grew up, where their home is, whatever. But because I have moved so much, 
I'm not necessarily tied to a specific place just uh-huh. because family is here. I'm used to moving around, not having family around, not you know having to make new friends, start all over. So that in my adulthood, I have no problem. If I don't like my situation, I just change it. You have both parents who are in the military. Mm-hmm. Were they in the military throughout all your... your... So... Both of my parents, they met in the military. My mom went in right after she graduated. I believe my dad did too. Um, They were in the military when I was growing up until I was about 10 or 11. Uh And then they both got out of the military and we kind of moved around based on my dad's jobs from there. Uh Maybe nine, maybe nine. But so we still moved around because of my dad's job, but they were both out of the military by nine or 10 years old. Let's fast forward a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And then we'll circle back into, into your upbringing, right? Mm-hmm. You are an artist, right? Mm-hmm. Now, but you've spent a lot of years in the in the food industry, right? Mm-hmm. I knew you when we were in in the food industry. You and I worked together as, as, as managers, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing you back then, and knowing you now, right, it almost feels like you were dealing with two different people. Mm-hmm. Why is that? When you met me, I was actually still recovering from trauma that I had experienced for a large portion of my life. Mm-hmm. Now I've had a chance to kind of write about that, get my story out about that, work through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband has been a major help with all of those pieces of my life mm-hmm. now I can live more authentically I can be happy I'm not stressed out about the same kinds of things I'm not constantly living in fear for one reason or another mm-hmm. so it's easier to be happy it's easier to be me so can we let's talk about those things right mm-hmm. the things that you were dealing with at the at that time right because from an outsider looking in right at that time it almost seems like you were in this space of self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's what it comes out like, right? Uh, what was really going on? So I come from an abusive background. Mm-hmm. Um, my entire childhood was steeped in abuse, both for me and between my parents. Mm-hmm. And then I went through a really long relationship, a little bit over eight years that turned out to be abusive. Mm -hmm. By the time that you all met me, I had been away from that person for, I think, about two years. Mm -hmm. And I was still living in fear, still just surviving at Mm -hmm. that point. Um, So the way that that translated into the person that you may have gotten to know and others got to know at work was... I could come across as very standoffish or very nonchalant. Mm-hmm. And really, if if I was put in a situation where I felt like I was being spoken to in a way that reminded me of my past, I would just kind of tune you out. And that was a self def- uh, self-defense mechanism that does come across as self-sabotage sometimes. Because, but abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, let's kind of stay in that topic a little bit right Mm -hmm. because you did say you grew up in an abusive environment Mm -hmm. how what was going on okay so 
all of my life, from the time that I can remember growing up until I was 12, mm-hmm. my dad was really abusive, primarily to my mother, but he would take it out on me. He would sometimes take it out on various animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another reason why I didn't really spend a lot of time getting close to people growing up. Because when I knew that I was going to move, but another part of that is I was always taught that what happens at home stays at home. Mm -hmm. And it was because people that are abusive don't want to be found out. Mm -hmm. Um, As a result, and I think because of that, I still really compartmentalize my life. I I don't really share my past experiences with people that I meet now, Mm -hmm. unless it's relevant. If mm-hmm. that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, I, 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 I get the part. I mean, sometimes you go in through so much stuff to the point where it's almost like it's almost like it's not it's not cool to share. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? It's it can be not cool because people might might pity you, and that's never what I want. Mm-hmm. But it. It's one of those situations where unless you are a survivor of abuse, Mm -hmm. it's probably the last thing that you're ever going to think of could happen to somebody, Mm -hmm. Um, especially meeting me because I can be very mouthy, very sassy. Mm -hmm. Nobody would ever assume that I was in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. We're talking about two different situations here, Mm -hmm. right? Abusive upbringing. And then now we're talking about an abusive relationship, right? Mm-hmm. I would like to kind of separate the two mm-hmm. and focus on one and focus on the next one and how they are related. Because okay. sometimes most people who were abused as children, right, somehow find themselves in abusive relationship because exactly. that's what they see. Oh, if you grew up in a home where your parents were abusive to one another, most instances, they cycle back into that mm-hmm. because that's what they, they see growing up. Unless that cycle is break, broken, right? that is very present. So let's talk about uh, your, your dad a little bit. You say he was in an mm-hmm. abusive situation. He was a, a very he abusive, abusive. human mm-hmm. being, right? How, how did that end up for, for him? And did, have you ever found out what he was, what kind of pain he was dealing with, and that he was taking out on on, on the wrong people. So, through the years, um, it's really kind of hard to piece together mm-hmm. my dad. Honestly, I do know that in the military he had several psychological evaluations, and he was ultimately diagnosed by the military back in the day as being manic depressive. Today it would be called bipolar. Mm-hmm. Growing up with him. He did not display any emotions unless it was anger. That was the only thing he knew how to display was lashing out. I personally, after having studied psychology in my undergrad years, I would lean more towards psychopath or sociopath Mm -hmm. for for the term for his behavior, Mm -hmm. potentially narcissistic. But the way that it ended up was my mother actually ended up killing him in self-defense. She shot and killed him in self-defense one night when he was coming after her. And how old were you when this happened? I was 12. How does your 12-year-old self, right, deal when, with your mother shooting, shooting and killing your father? Mm-hmm. And I suggest your mother will have to go to jail for that. Mm-hmm. And now your father is, is passed, is killed. Mm-hmm. How does your 12-year-old self deal with that? 
my 12-year-old self, it, I kind of disconnected from it. I, when it happened, my mom did, she called the police on herself. She, you know, she apologized to me for everything that happened. And I told her then, I don't, I never blamed her for it because at 12, I was trying to figure out how to get us out of that situation. Uh Um, I knew that there was a really bad problem when my dad asked me one night if I would rather he leave her or kill her. And that's when I knew that we had to get out of this situation. We fast forward a little bit, and you're right, my mom did end up having to go to jail for a little bit. She was actually in jail and prison in Arizona for about six years Uh uh, because she went in when I was 12. She came home when I was 18. I had just turned 18 about three months before she came home. Uh The way that I dealt with it is I really don't remember my first couple of months because I was trying to process losing both of my parents but her parents, my grandparents, took me in. They took me to counseling. They got me enrolled right into school. And they were just there so that when I decided I was ready to start talking and interacting with them, they were right there already. Did you ever hold any any resentment towards your mom for killing your dad? Never. Never? Never once. Uh, because if she hadn't done it, at the age of 12, I, I was considering it just so that we could get away from this person who was supposed to love us and protect us that was terrorizing us on a daily. Um, it's, not, it's not a normal reaction, uh-huh. but in an instance where you are being abused, it's not an abnormal reaction because eventually it, it comes down to survival. Either I'm going to survive or that person is. Yeah. How about your dad? Did you ever, now that you're grown, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, not to make excuse for him, right? Mm-hmm. How did you, now that you're grown and you know how cruel the world can be, how things can be a little, the world can be brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you ever felt like maybe you forgive or you understood or you, I don't know. I, I just don't have the words to kind of, say what I'm trying to say. Have you ever felt any kind of compassion towards his situation? Um, my thought process of my dad, because it was so long ago, it's been one of those, another part that I've kind of compartmentalized. I've never hated him, never really been mad at him. I really don't, he's not a forefront in my thoughts as often as other people's parents or even as often as my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, have I always known that he had some psychological issues? I have, but I never held it against him because I'd heard stories about his upbringing. So even when I was younger, I kind of understood that it was something that he was taught. And I instinctively knew that the only way that we were ever going to get out of this cycle was with his passing, be it natural, unnatural. However, that was the only way that we were ever going to get away. So I'm going to dig deeper here, right? Sometimes, often, right, people who are in this mental, people who are therapists and people in this psychological space, right, Mm -hmm. they often treat healing as if it's a destination. Mm Mm-hmm. 
they treat it like you have to travel there or you, I have arrived mm-hmm. to. They made it look like it's a it's a physical it's a place where right you can get to right and having dealt with a death myself, I don't think. I I think differently about it. I don't think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. How is is as is as destinative as people make it mm-hmm. seem, right? What was that? He, what was that healing process like? If you even healed from this already, because we're talking a a twelve year old here mm-hmm. who's lost both her mom and dad the same day almost. Mm-hmm. So. I guess what healing would have looked like back then mm-hmm. was my grandparents put me in therapy. I did that for several months. Um, I, my therapist said that everything was fine. I wasn't showing any signs of trauma, stress, or anything like that because at the age of 12, I lied to her. Mm-hmm. There was all kinds of stress and trauma. I, I went through a traumatic experience. But... I really was able to lean on my family to get me through a lot of that, my mom's side of the family, because they never really pushed. They didn't ask me a whole lot. They just kind of gave me my space. I would go talk to my therapist, get things out, and then I would be able to go home and deal with it. If I wanted to talk to them about it, I could. Uh But for me, healing was really, it was more about understanding the thought processes than any that's that's what it was more about for me was understanding how or why it happened Uh so at 12 I just kind of brushed it off and just dealt with it however you can I blocked it out for the most part and then I just started sharing my story with the people around me and that to me was more healing than anything else was letting other people know what happens in the world having gone through all of this right you ended up in an abusive relationship yourself. Mm-hmm. Looking from outside, I'll say you've seen all the the signs of it. You're like the you're you've seen abuse one or one. Mm-hmm. You've seen the deadliest of the of it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then here you are back into that cycle. Right. It's it's actually more common for somebody that grew up in an abusive situation to find themselves in an abusive situation as they get older because especially in my situation if i don't deal with all of those things Uh they just keep coming back and you find yourself being attracted to whatever behavior you grew up with because that's normal so if i saw love and whatnot growing up that's what i would think is normal Uh that's not what i saw i saw abuse and that felt normal. So even though my grandparents were not abusive to each other, in the years that mattered when you're growing up, that is what I learned. So that felt more normal to me than anything else. So this, how long have you, have you been with this guy that, that the abusive guy that you've been with? I was with him for eight years. It took eight years for me to be able to get away, and it took the help of my family to get me away. And I've been away from him going on 10 years. But did you ever felt like you were being abused at the time, though? I didn't start off that way. It, I didn't start really realizing the abuse 
until I told him about something traumatic that had happened to me. And he held me by my sweatshirt and pushed me down his stairs so that I would choke to get his point across. That was the moment that I knew, oh no, I'm in an abusive relationship. Wow. If you look back now, with everything that happened to you, what do you tell your 12-year-old self? If you have to sit across the room from I, her, what would you tell her? I tell her that it's not her fault. She had no control over what the grown-ups in her life were doing. And it was never my situation to have to fix to begin with, mm -hmm. even though I was willing to. So I guess I tell my 12-year-old self, you did what you could to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not... I, it's, yeah, really, that, that's what it is, is it's okay to, to feel safe mm -hmm. because everybody deserves that growing up is what I tell myself. You know what I mean? Have you ever find some type of way to blame yourself for anything, any of this? I have, and it's really, really disturbing. But when I was little, well, when I was 12, 13, I would blame myself for me not being the one to fix the situation instead of my mom. Because she'd already been through so much, that was just another slap in the face to her, to my 12-year-old self. So I did eventually get over that. I, you know, like I said, I would tell my 12-year-old self now, it was never my situation to handle. Wow, but your 12-year-old self is, you're talking about a trained American military. This is not no... Boy Scout want to be military. You're talking about a trained, a seasoned mm -hmm. American military guy. Weapons expert. All, all of the weapons, they, both of my parents were experts in. So no, we're not talking about a regular, hey, just joined yeah. two years ago kind of deal. No. So how would your 12-year-old, how would you have <laughs> handled that? That is not... I, I was trained. I was trained. I was trained in firearms just like my parents because my parents trained me. So it, it could have been done. I'm glad that I never was put in a position to do it, but I could have. That is true. That is true. I mean, pulling the trigger, it is, that's all it takes, mm -hmm. you know. But there's a peaceful ending to all of this, you mm -hmm. know. The, let's fast forward, right? Now you... You are... What's the way to say this? Let me look for a way to segue into this. Let's let's move fast forward, right? Mm -hmm. You are one of the most gifted person I have ever like Thank you. come across, right? Very intelligent, very well spoken, great writer. Thank you. And you're also a painter, an artist, right? In school, you studied liberal arts, right? Mm -hmm. But it took until recently for you to make use of what you studied in school. What, what inspired the change? Well, so first, liberal arts is actually just a study of a lot of different subjects and then figuring out how to work them in together. Mm -hmm. um, but the way that I discovered that I am a physical artist, not just with words or music, mm -hmm. was during the pandemic. 
the world shut down. Everybody had all kinds of time on their hands. And my husband told me that I needed to find some hobbies because I couldn't just stay shut up in my room. Mm -hmm. And one of the hobbies that I picked up was I watched some YouTube videos and saw like the acrylic paint pours. Mm -hmm. I thought I can do that. Went and got some really cheap paint and tried it out. And then from there, people started buying like my first two or three things that I ever made, people bought them. And I realized, hey, I can make a business out of this. I can do this. And so I have. Isn't it interesting how we create something, right? From a place of just trial. Let me try this and see how it's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. And it resonates so much with people to the point where they are so invested in it to where when they don't see anything come from you, they're like, yo, what's going on? Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Um, I have friends that'll do that to me. I try to be that person for other people. It's a great feeling. It is. It is It is beautiful when people reach out and say, hey, what's going on? Uh, what's going on with you? We didn't see any content. What you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's it it's it's rewarding. It's very rewarding. It's like wow. Like or on when you're having a bad day and you're thinking about just giving it all up and then you got that one or two people that are like, Hey, don't you do that. Yeah. Don't you do that. You're so close. Don't do that. Yeah. Mine came when a friend of mine not a friend, you know, somebody that I don't get along with at all. Mm-hmm sent me a long message on Facebook and said, man, I know I don't see, we don't see eye to eye, we don't get along. But that thing you're doing with A plus one, the classroom, man, don't, don't ever give that up. Mm. And I had to sit back and like, am I going, am I crazy? Or is this, this is supposed to be a joke? What, what is this? No, it, it's, it's really odd when somebody who doesn't like you as a person can still appreciate your work. It is very, it's, it's uneven it's ground. Somber. Mm -hmm. It's somber. It's somber and it, it, it makes sense. So you have a book out already mm -hmm. and uh, it's a collaborative effort, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that book. So the book itself is available on Amazon and it's called From a Black Perspective, The People. It is volume two in an anthology that is all black authors. Uh -huh. um, and a lot of us do know each other from our younger years. A lot of us went to college together. It is published by an independent publisher who is a, it, it is a man who is a part of the LGBTQ community. The uh -huh. It's called Rainbow Room Publishing. Uh -huh. And the way that it all kind of came about is he recognized that we all have a story that helps shape us to become who we are. And he's kind of collected us and collected our stories to put them together in a way that would make for easier or more cohesive reading. Mm -hmm. If somebody wanted to learn just a little bit of our stories. Mm -hmm. So who else is, the, is, is, is a writer in this? And, is this a fiction, non-fictional, and uh, who, the, who are the collaborators on the, on okay. the book? Okay, so the collaborators are going to be just kind of a mixture of different Black authors mm -hmm. that the publisher, Eddie Pierce, knows. Mm -hmm. And he is, in addition to being a publisher, he's also a collaborator. Mm -hmm. So in addition to myself, there's Ken Compton, Sanaya Haynes, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Tamara Hill, and 
uh, Rena Thomas. Each of us has our own little story to tell. Some of them are going to be fiction. Some of them are nonfiction. Like mm-hmm. mine is an excerpt of my forthcoming memoir. It's called Memoir of a Hidden Pain. Uh-huh. Some of these in volume one and two are going to be excerpts like mine. Some of them are going to be their own individual stories. So where is this book found? If someone wants to buy this book, right? Mm -hmm. The book is available on Mm Amazon.com and it can be found by going to, from Mm -hmm. a black perspective, the people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we do also have the link. I believe we're going to be displaying that somehow Mm -hmm. only because the link that I have there, it's not a memorable link. Yeah. But Mo, you know, uh, I couldn't help but be be super super proud of of your of your journey, right? Of your journey, just from the from a human point, right? Mm-hmm. Your journey is is a really painful one. It started really painful, right? Mm-hmm. And you knowing you seeing you now mm-hmm. and dealing with you now it almost feels like completely 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 different you have finally found something mm-hmm. that worked for you and it's working because even just your demeanor right mm-hmm. the person that you become you're a little more relaxed a little more trusting if i if i should use the mm-hmm. word right and not only that you you seem like you found the that thing mm-hmm. for you and you're enjoying every single bit of it mm-hmm. because you used to not this is not what no not what you're used to yeah mm-hmm. working with you in the past years right you have moments where it almost feels like I'm just here. Mm-hmm. And for the for the sake of my I don't even know what it's like for fuck's sake let me just say it right mm-hmm. for fuck's sake sometimes like what is going on with this with this with this lady what is wrong with her you almost like it's almost like the level of self sabotage at the time, right? It's just it's it's beyond comprehension. Mm-hmm. So, but listening to you speak about all these things, right, and saying what exactly you were going through at the time, mm-hmm. or you were getting out of at the time makes a lot of sense so what a lot of people saw as self-sabotaging was self-preservation a lot of times um but it was also a way of me setting my boundaries i have since discovered i don't have to be as forceful in setting my boundaries to get my point across but i got my point across then so what you see is self-sabotage somebody else was like oh I can't pull that off on her. I'm going to have to try something else. If, does that? Yeah, but on my level, when I say self-sabotage, right, it almost feels like, okay, 
there is chance for me to take this over, right? And make it mine, right? Mm-hmm. Once, every time you try that and you put a foot down to say, okay, I'm taking this over, right? If you meet any kind of resistance there, mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, fuck it. I'm not going to push. I'm not doing this push and pull with this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm good. You want it? Take it. I'm going to sit back and watch it, right? Yeah. And me, I'm like, do, she, do you know you, like, fuck this. Like, you yeah. put your foot down. And you're like, no, 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 no. Hmm. Why? Because I'm always game to let somebody kind of hang themselves. You want to do it your way? That's fine. It's not my name attached to it if it goes wrong. But it was also a lot of the way that people approach me or speak to me will determine my reaction. And some of that is leftover things that I still need to probably go to therapy, deal with, work through. But if I get any kind of a hint of disrespect, we're done. We're done. I may have to interact with you every day, but I don't have to interact with you every day. I just have to show you basic common courtesy. If you're going to tell me that I'm stupid or that I'm wrong, you do it. Do it your way. We'll see how it works. Because in order for me to open my mouth, I've already tried to research and all these things. I'm great with compromise, but I think it's kind of a throwback to my upbringing. Yeah, it does. But also, I think it's a little... Now, if you're talking about now, like within my art business, Mm -hmm. that's a little bit different. Yeah, but I also see it in... uh, I see things a little differently, right? Mm-hmm. It's a side of you back then, right? That is also identified that this thing that I am doing, right, is almost temporary, mm-hmm. right? This thing I am doing is not what defines me. In that context, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, this thing that I am doing, I'm just doing it for a short time. Or oh, these people that I am dealing with don't even believe in me. Because I remember earlier on, he used to be like, I don't think they believe in, in me, as, in you and I, as much as you think. Mm-hmm. You've identified your sense of, your sense of alertness, right? It's... It's beyond this world. It's next level. Mm-hmm. You're always on alert. Is that a product of everything Absolutely. that you've been through? Absolutely. I'm always on alert. I always, uh, and that is something that you'll find with a lot of people that have survived any type of abuse. One thing that you can almost see survivors do is when we walk into a place, we immediately identify how to get out how many ways there are to get out and backup routes in case any of those don't work. Um, At night, I still to this day keep shoes by my bed and I know where my keys are if I need them so that I can grab all of this stuff and go in a hurry. And a lot of that is left over from traumatic upbringing and then various situations that happened to me within my relationship. Those are things that I have not broken quite white yet and I don't feel bad about it at all 
did you have you finally broken the cycle of of abuse in the sense that are you done with it because you can be you could you could have gone through everything that you've gone through right mm -hmm. your husband now who i happen to to know mm -hmm. is a great guy right mm -hmm. but if you find yourself in a situation where it's almost going heading back to where it was are you are you done with this i'm done absolutely if any of that behavior starts to con so in my relationships now, I have no problem establishing my boundaries up front. These are things that if you do these things, we, we will not survive. Um, my husband, luckily, I didn't have to go through as much of that. He, there were different boundaries that we both kind of learned about each other. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, he's not an abusive man. Nothing about him is abusive. So that is not a fear that I've ever had with him. In relationships in the in between the the abusive relationship and my marriage, there were some that I had to, hey, these things are not okay. Like I you can't talk to me like this because this is this happened in the past. Mm -hmm. This this is my natural reaction. I'm trying to get through it. And most of them were were pretty good about trying to help work through it. My husband, I've never had to like hold him by his hand to tell him how to treat me. And I think that plays a big part in the difference that you see in me now. Yeah. That the difference is, is, is very visible. I mean, someone is around you that, that, uh, that knew you before is, is almost like it's different at the time. I used to think maybe, maybe you would, I used to just try to find, reasoning for this i was like is she depressed is she going what's she going through with mm -hmm. what is she what's going on you know what i mean mm -hmm. but you know we live in a world where right we take on this job responsibility sometimes right and we put them on our head and shoulders right mm -hmm. And we die for these corporations, even at the point where mentally sometimes we're so compromised because of what we have going on in our personal lives, right? Mm -hmm. And then the pressure of the day-to-day -day operation of these companies, of these outlets, stores, wherever they put, wherever you find yourself, whatever mm -hmm. you find yourself doing, right? Just the stress of the day-to-day -day running of that particular place, right? will get you so stressed out to the point where you almost forget mm -hmm. to take care of you first. Mm -hmm. I will admit that I was not at all taking care of myself when you first met me. I drink a lot, a lot. I don't drink anymore. I left that place and I don't drink like that anymore. I don't even drink what I used to drink anymore. It makes me sick to just smell it. Um, and I think that that is actually kind of a byproduct of our society, not necessarily our upbringing, but our society pushes us go, 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 give, 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 but not take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So 
I do definitely see the difference in me because I'm not living to make somebody else's dreams come true anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it's my dreams. And as my business grows and expands, I have the perfect example of what kind of manager I never want to be. Mm-hmm. I never want somebody that works for me to feel like my needs are all that matter, mm-hmm. which is what we find in a lot of the companies today. Mm-hmm. That is very true because... Everything is metrics, right? Mm-hmm. They will put these metrics in in place, right? And one set of rules for different environments, right? Because it's not one size fit all, right? Mm-hmm. But we find ourselves in situations where it's one size fit all. And then until... Because it's never really tested. It's just one, this is the metrics we're going by. Mm -hmm. And they just push it out to everywhere. It don't matter the size, the location, the environment, nothing, none of that matters. They push it out, right? Mm -hmm. You find yourself, if you're not careful, you find yourself fighting so much, so hard. Mm -hmm. Fighting so hard to meet these metrics to the point where your own personal health is compromised mm-hmm. your mental health is compromised mm-hmm. and they still it's still gimme 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 right mm-hmm. and realistically people will tell you that oh there is all these corporations now have have uh things in place where you can reach out for help for your mental health and stuff like that right it's not the easiest thing to do. It's not at all easy, especially with me being a survivor of mm-hmm. domestic violence. I can say that's probably one of the hardest things to do is reach out for help. And I don't know if that's just because it's me personally and the way that I was raised mm-hmm. or if that's everybody. But a general consensus is it is very hard to reach out for help. And you're right. These companies will tell you, oh, we've got this in place. We've got that in place. But can you get the time off to go handle your health? Mm-hmm. Can you get the time off to go be with your family? Um, you know, sure, we might get vacation time, but is it really vacation time? Where are they calling you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might get married and go on a honeymoon, but are they going to call you the next day while they know that you're gone type mm-hmm. situation? Corporations don't care. And that part of it does actually tie back into how I was when you met me because they were so focused on having every part of me that it kind of reminded me of my relationship where I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything without constantly being called, constantly being watched. It's really something that the world needs to look into, especially corporate America needs to look into Mm -hmm. a lot of it because myself, right? Even now at the, what I'm doing now, right? Mm-hmm. I close from work and go home and I don't have to answer the phone, right? Right. And I feel like I'm cheating this corporation mm-hmm. simply because I spent five years at a place where my phone has to stay on. Stay on. It has to ring 24 mm-hmm. seven. And I'm expected to answer it. Out and of I'm expected sleep. to answer it. I could be asleep. I can be with my, with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I can be, it could be a date. It does not matter the situation. I could be a church for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. And I have to answer this call. It got to a point where 
I can't even leave my phone turned up like this. I have to turn it face down. And every time my phone rings, I'm just freaking out. I'm, I'm, I'm stressing out on what's, what's going on again, what's going on again, what's going on again. And then you turn the phone, and then if it's someone else, a friend or somebody else calling, the sense of relief that you have mm -hmm. is almost like, oh my God, thank you. Right. And then you put it down, and then you forget about it for a little bit, and then it rings again. And you go through it all over and again. And you go through all of it. And that's constant, constant. Mm -hmm. Going from that to leaving work and nobody calls your phone. Amazing. And somebody, I feel like I'm cheating these people. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how can they pay me this much? And when I, as soon as I leave work, I don't have to worry about some because somebody is there, right, to deal with whatever problem is going on. Mm -hmm. It's to me, I see it now. You know what I'm saying? So let me put something in perspective for you based on what you said, just so that maybe you and whoever is watching can understand. Uh -huh. That feeling that you talked about where your heart dropped every time your phone rang, uh -huh. being in an abusive relationship feels like that 24 hours a day. You never get rid of that feeling. It never goes away until you're not in that situation anymore. That feeling will kill you. Because you don't know what's happening next. Mm -hmm. You're always in survival mode. So what I, I read something not too long ago that kind of put it in perspective that I think kind of sums up the change that you see in me. There was a life coach and she was talking about how her daughter reached out to her and was like, you need to call grandma uh -huh. and check on her. And the life coach, the mom was like, well, there's a phone. It goes both ways. And the daughter had enough self-awareness to say, grandma's living in survival mode right now. She doesn't have the capacity to think about you, me, or anybody else. She's trying to manage whatever the situation is, one situation at a time. Uh. Call her. Ease, ease some of that. And it, it really made me think about it because the whole time up until recently that you've known me and anybody else, I was always in survival mode. Now, I don't have to live like that. So I'm not constantly afraid. I'm not constantly um, dreading my phone ringing, things like that. So I can be more authentic and it, it lets me be more artistic. You know what I mean? So now that I don't constantly have all of this fear over here, mm -hmm. I can make stuff and not worry about being criticized for it or having it broken because somebody got mad. I I do know one thing, right? And and that thing is there is so much, so much, so much potential in every human being, right? Mm -hmm. And unless our environments is changed, right? Mm -hmm. Some of these potentials are not even are never gonna be, <laughs> never gonna be. No one is gonna maximize these potentials at all, mm -hmm. because our environments minimize these things. And I I do know for a fact, right? You 
in that same setting, right, mm-hmm. of constant, constant, I need this from you. I need that from you. I need this other thing from you. I need that from you. Mm-hmm. Hey, why is this person calling off of work, right? Mm-hmm. Why is this person late? Hey, this person is not, why is this person not at work yet? Right. It's almost like you being responsible for another person's life. Life. Mm-hmm. Not only life, you being responsible for another person's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because this is a responsibility that, that, that they signed up for, right? Mm-hmm. But you being responsible for their own lack of commitment, you getting blamed for their own lack of commitment and lack mm-hmm. of understanding that they are committed to something. If you were in that constant environment, trust me, you'd still be drinking. Mm-hmm. I would. That environment was a glorified babysitter um, in some aspects because my phone would never stop ringing until 11.30 midnight. And then I had to turn around and be back there before the sun came up. Yeah. yeah. How do you expect people to function when you don't even let them sleep? That's how I started drinking in the first place was so that I could go to sleep because my phone was always ringing. I'm, I'm glad. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that I found the, the, the I found the courage to be like, nah, this is this is mm-hmm. too much for me, and I walk away mm-hmm. because I remember the last day. I just saw, I was doing a commissary audit, right? And in the cooler, mm-hmm. not the freezer, the cooler, right? Yeah. I just broke down mm. and sat down and, and, and really, 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 I cried. Not sobbed, I cried, cried. Mm. Like, noise making cry. Right. I sat there and cried there for like a whole, maybe 10 minutes, if, if not mm-hmm. even more. I really, really cried. Because I almost felt like them. I'm wrong for leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen, I felt guilty when I stepped down. I felt guilty when I quit. I felt guilty when I had to put in my notice because of the pandemic and I was going to have to do virtual school. I felt guilty over everything that happened on my last day, but not guilty enough to go back. And then I leave to go and then it's like, no, 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 you don't have to do this. I do. No, no, no. Don't worry about this. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, do you need me to stay? No, no, no. You don't have to stay. Mm-hmm. You did this, right? Yeah. Oh, good. Thank you. That's all. You're good. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, what? The- Is this real? Right. Right. That, if I had to describe what it feels like to be in an abusive relationship. That is what it feels like. So in essence, we are in, uh, we, you can also be in a corporate abusive relationship. Yeah, I would guess so. Cause that's what we were in. Like looking back at it, the way that you felt in that situation is how I grew up. It's how I spent that eight years. And then I gave them another four years. And, and then so, you, and then you come back and then, you are at work dealing with this same stuff mm-hmm. at work. And 
I don't want this to sound like I'm bashing. We're bashing a corporation because we're not even mentioning names here. Well, right? it's not even that corporation. It's, it's just most this is, uh, corporation. Most human beings, most people, right, mm-hmm. feel like this day in, day out in their jobs. That's capitalism. In their jobs. And and trust me when I tell you, it's like if you were trapped, find yourself trapped in that, right? Mm-hmm. The best you can do is learn the systems. Mm-hmm. Learn every single system they're using in that corporation. Learn it and mm-hmm. use that to catapult yourself out of there. Because look, the things you learned from there, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody is looking for exactly a person that knows those things, mm-hmm. regardless of your educational background, regardless of it, the experience alone of it. Somebody's gonna take a bet on you, right? And then you walk out of the situation and you're like, "What the hell? Why did I stay there so long?" Mm-hmm. But I, man, I, 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 I love the person that you've become. Thank you. And I do too. I do. My wish for you is to, to stay there. Mm-hmm. The, 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 that's the right shoe to wear. Yeah. Keep that shoe on. Absolutely. You Absolutely. know what I mean? If they, if it's run, but go go back to the same store, buy the same pair again. Mm-hmm. The other side is like it's almost like it's too much for a human being. Mm-hmm. It's just too much. Like it's too much, but at the same time, it's like about you know what you signed up for. You've been there for, for mm-hmm. one year, two years, mm-hmm. three years. You see what this is about. Well, another, it literally just had an epiphany that another difference that you probably see in me is when I was there, I always had to dim my shine. I always had to make myself less than because when I would say, okay, I got this, I'll do it. Then I was knocked or bashed or pushed aside or whatever. Um, Now I don't, I don't have to shrink myself for anybody else uh-huh. because there's nobody else that does exactly what I do. Uh-huh. Whereas in, and it's not even just that past job, but in most jobs, you're competing against your coworkers. You're competing against whatever your boss might be feeling that day, whatever your client or customer might be feeling. You've got all of these things that you have to take into account with me and my art. I don't have to do any of that. I get up and I feel like making something great. I get up and I don't feel like making something. Okay, that's money that I'll lose in the long run, but that's my choice. Mm-hmm. So the, the the whole world does kind of come back and tie into each other mm-hmm. in ways that we don't even think about. <laughs> yeah. it, it's one of those situations where just even in this conversation, I've realized more about myself and more that I need to do within my life to make uh-huh. sure that nobody else feels the way that I did. Uh-huh. And I just, we could sit here and talk about these experiences and, and have these conversations and forever. Mm-hmm. Cause this is an on continuously ongoing thing, but Everything we are saying here is from a place of healing. It's not from a place of bashing, and mm-hmm. it's not. It's just from a place of this did happen. It did happen. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's my story. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing to pity or feel sorry for. It happened, and now this is my chance to be able to share it with somebody else, so mm-hmm. that 
they don't necessarily go through what I went through or what you went through or anybody else. That that in its own is liberating, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the sooner as people we find liberation of 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 self, mm-hmm. that's the only way we can liberate others, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like your story is a story that somebody needs to hear it, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody probably is going through the same thing. Somebody probably has seen it mm-hmm. and will have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And it's an opportunity for the individual to say that, oh, wow, this seems familiar. This sounds mm-hmm. familiar. Mm-hmm. I know what this is. Right. Say, it's time, maybe it's time for me to walk, to walk away. And I'm hoping that by sharing my story, people will learn to see those signs earlier. Because I saw them, I ignored them. And so I ended up deeper into the situation than I ever should have. My hope is that by sharing my story, some other person will see this and say, oh, I know what this looks like. Let me be very cautious. Let me not pursue this. Or I think I can handle this part as long as that doesn't happen. I appreciate you a lot. I appreciate you and thank you for just mustering the courage to finally, you know, sit down with me because I've been wanting to do harassing this for me. a long time. You've been harassing me. Yeah, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And uh, just thank you for mustering the courage to share your story. It's it's a, a great story. Thank it's you. a rough one, but it's nothing... It does not define who you are. It doesn't. And if I can survive that, come through it, and still be happy, if I can do that, anybody can do it. And I appreciate you, man. Absolutely. I appreciate you, too. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you.